the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. When he came to earth, as a baby, grew up, died for our sins, his first coming... He was gentle riding on a donkey as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the week of his crucifixion. It tells us that his eyes were filled with tears in Luke 19. It says, as he drew near Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over the city because he said, if you had only known this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. The world wants Jesus to be loving and accepting and tolerant of their sin. He was all those things in his first coming. He hated sin, but he didn't let it keep him from hanging out with sinners of all sorts. That grace is available to all of us still. He does accept and love us, and because of that love, he wants to free us from sin and shame. As Pastor Gary will warn in today's message, when Jesus comes again, He will come as a triumphant king, bringing his children to himself and stepping on those who've rejected him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 19 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. This is diadema. This is a majestic, royal, kingly crown, very different from the Stephanos crown, just, you know, made of laurel wreaths. So it's a picture here. He's coming in might. He's coming in majesty. He's coming in power when he comes again. And he had a name written, uh, NIV says, on him. But I'm reading New King James, and it doesn't have that uh, prepositional phrase. But he had a name written that no one knew except himself. And he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. So he's coming, you know, in this, and we'll talk more about why is his robe dipped in blood. This is, this is not his own. We're going to talk in a moment about the significance of that when I draw the contrast between his first and second coming. But notice his name is called the Word of God, the Word of God. The Greek word for word is logos. And uh, logos means expression. It means uh, word or speech. But back in Greek culture in the first century, uh, in Greek philosophy, they always understood logos to mean divine revelation. So when John is using this term, 
He is using it to express a a term in his day that people would have understood that when Jesus is spoken of as the word of God, he is spoken of as the divine revelation of God himself, that he is the personification, the revelation. He is God in flesh. John will like this word. You remember in the gospel of John, same writer, he begins his gospel in in chapter one saying, uh, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. It's that same word, logos in the Greek, the divine expression of God. You know, it's interesting that uh, John 1.1 goes back further than Genesis 1.1. Because when it it speaks in Genesis 1.1 about in the beginning, God created. Well, John goes back even further than that in John 1.1 when he says, uh, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That he, he talks about who, who Jesus is and God is even before creation account of Genesis 1. But again, he is that logos. He is that uh, full expression of God, that divine uh, revelation, that divine reason of who God is. He's God in flesh. And verse 14 says, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now, these are not angels. When it speaks here about the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, uh, one of the best things I ever learned in Bible college was the best, po- the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so when you glance back up in verse 8, same chapter, just glance back up at verse 8, it, it's, it talks about, um, well, actually, let me, let me read back up in verse uh, 6 so you get the, the full context. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife or his bride has made herself ready. Okay, who's the bride of Christ? The church, we are. So the next verse says, verse 8, and to her, that is the saints, the church, It was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So it's a picture of the church clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when you go back down to verse 14, and it it says, And the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. It is descriptive of the church wearing the white, fine, clean linen given to them as the expression of the righteousness that they have gained in Christ alone. So verse 14 is not about angels coming back with Jesus. It's about us. It's about the saints. It's about those who have gone on to, to be with the Lord in heaven before his second coming, we'll return with him. And guess what? We all get white horses too. So there's a lot of white horses up there. And if some of you are like, well, I've never ridden a horse before. Well, you will in that day. <laughs> and it's going to be okay. The thing isn't going to buck you off or, or take you on a wild chase. Uh, I remember the first time that I uh, rode a horse. Uh, that's exactly what happened. And um, that I won't go into that story, but uh, it was supposed to be a nice trot through a field. It ended up being a a strong gallop through the woods. But anyhow, <laughs> verse 15, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. So this is a picture of Jesus now coming to rule, to judge the sharp sword. That with, that with it, he should strike the nations. Okay, now remember, th- this is going to lead into the second thing that he sees. So he's judging the nations that have gathered for the battle of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon is the climactic event that happens at the end of the tribulation period. And it is that event 
which Jesus comes to settle. He's going to defeat the armies that have gathered for Armageddon. Uh, But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But this is why he's coming with a sharp sword that he should strike the nations. The nations we're talking about are the nations that have gathered against him at Armageddon. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. Now, that's interesting because uh, rod of iron also in his letter to the church of Thyatira back in Revelation 2.27 tells us that he will also rule with a rod of iron. It is a picture really for us of the messianic rule of our Lord. In fact, in Psalm chapter 2, which is a messianic chapter in Psalms, in Psalm 2, it says this, verses 7 to 9, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This is a messianic prophecy about Jesus. Psalm 2, verse 8, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So this is the Lord coming again to earth, all right, the second phase of a second coming. And it tells us there the rest of uh, verse Uh, 15, he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now, notice that because this is a picture. He's trampling out the grapes. He he treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So, the expression that John is using here is basically this that God's enemies are going to get crushed like grapes in a winepress. That's what he means. And there's a whole other messianic passage about this in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 63. If you want to write in the margin of your Bibles, Isaiah 63, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it to you. This is what it says. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? Now listen carefully. This is going to explain why his robes will be stained with blood. This is not his own blood. Listen to this. I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments." And I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury, it sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. That's what Isaiah writes in Isaiah 63, first six verses. And he's speaking prophetically about the time that Christ will come. And put an end to the enemies that have gathered against Israel and the God of Israel. And his own garments will be stained with the blood of his enemies as he crushes them like grapes in a wine press. We have a hymn about it, right? Verse 16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So there's a name written on his robe, this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and on his thigh. Yes, Jesus will have a tat. (laughs) For those of you always wanting to know, is it okay if I have tattoos? Jesus has one. That's all I can tell you. He's going to have one on his thigh. Amen. (laughs) Verse 17. Then I saw. Here's the second vision that he sees here. 
Number two, he says, I saw verse 17. And just to summarize what we're about to read, he sees the destruction of the armies gathered for war at Armageddon. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. Now, it doesn't mean he's literally in the sun. It just means the brightness, like he sees this angel and the brightness of the sun, just reflecting the the great glory of God. And this is not Jesus himself. This is an angel. And he cried with a loud voice saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven. This is kind of a a gross scene here, but this this is just what it's going to be. Come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. When the battle of Armageddon happens and Jesus returns and defeats all his enemies, there's just going to be carnage. And this angel will summon these um, vultures and, and, and these scavenger birds to come and devour the flesh of all that have fallen in the battle. And so there's this, it's kind of a gruesome scene here, but this is, this is what's going to happen. The word flesh there is mentioned five times. It's a picture of, of not just literal flesh, but it's a picture of just, you know, the, the sin of people. And, and notice, you know, when God comes to judge, all stations of life get judged. Because he talks here about kings, captains, mighty men, and he talks at the end there, flesh of all people. Free slave, both small and great. Like God's judgment is not reserved for a certain class of people. If they have disobeyed God, if they've sinned against God, they're going to get judged doesn't matter what their station is in life. God's judgment shows no discrimination. I mean, if we don't get our hearts right with him, we are all subject to his judgment. The good news is when we get right with him, we accept Christ as our savior that even though we've sinned and done wrong and displeased Him and disobeyed Him, that God's mercy is poured out upon us and His grace is given unto us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. But God loves us so much that when we put our faith and trust in His only remedy for the salvation of our souls, which is belief in Jesus as the Son of God who died for our sins, God pours out His grace, His forgiveness, and His mercy towards us. And we don't have to suffer the consequences for what we've done because that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. Is anybody happy about that? Amen. Yeah, praise God for that. This is a gruesome scene here, but a reminder to us that we don't need you know, to suffer for the consequences of our sin because if we trust Christ, he takes that penalty for us. I, I do want you to notice, though, that there mentioned in verse uh, 17, he speaks here about the, the come and gather together for the supper of the great God. Um, there are two suppers mentioned here in chapter 19. The other one we looked at last week where it talks back in verse 9 about the the supper of the marriage of the lamb. Um, that's a supper of joy. This is a supper of judgment. Two different suppers happening in chapter 19. The first half is about a supper of joy. This half is about a supper, a supper of judgment. Verse 19, and I saw, so here's the last thing that he sees here, and I saw which summarizing the verses we're going to read, is the punishment of the beast, which is the Antichrist, and the false prophet in the lake of fire. He says in verse 19, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him, that's Jesus, who sat on the horse 
and against his army. Those are the saints. That's the church. And then the beast was captured, the Antichrist, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two, meaning the Antichrist and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him, Jesus, who sat on the horse, and all the, the birds were filled with their flesh. So uh, John sees here, and he writes about the end of the battle of Armageddon, and, um, and Jesus uh, you know, has victory over all his enemies. And one of the things that he does here, Jesus, is he takes the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he casts them alive into the lake of fire, the lake of fire burning with brimstone. If you'll jump over, just give you a quick preview into next week's study, chapter 20. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 20, it says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are. Because, see, they get thrown there in chapter 19, and the devil gets thrown there in chapter 20. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Some people have the misconception that the lake of fire, and they think this about hell for that matter, which are different things, that you get annihilated and, you know, you, you, get, you get burned up. If, if you go to hell, the, the fires of hell will burn you up, or you get thrown into the lake of fire, you get, you get burned up. It's not, it's not annihilation. You, you realize that every soul lives forever. Every soul lives forever. It's just a question of where. Because what it tells us there is they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That the lake of fire is not annihilation. It's perpetual suffering forever and ever. So it's, it's a day that, uh, you know, obviously we read about in the Bible and, um, and the lake of fire is real. We're going to talk about it more next week. But let me give you a synopsis now of the events related to the second coming of Christ. For those of you who love Bible prophecy... Uh, you want to be reminded of some things that Zechariah tells us. And Zechariah said this in chapter 14, verse 4, And in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. So it tells us exactly where Jesus will Return what point on the earth when he actually comes back to the earth, second phase of his second coming. And it tells us it's going to be the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem, which is consistent with Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended back into heaven after he rose from the dead. Okay, he appeared to his disciples for another 40 days. He was on the earth, and then he was taken up into heaven, where he presently is. Okay, and he's going to come again. But there, it tells us in Acts chapter 1 that, that when he had said his final words to his disciples that he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. This is Acts 1.10. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These are angels who said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So Acts 1 tells us that Jesus ascended back into heaven from the Mount of Olives. 
And the angels say there in Acts 1, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. And this is exactly what Zechariah the prophet says. So when Jesus comes back to earth, it's not going to be Leesburg. That would be wonderful, but it's not. It's going to be Jerusalem. It's going to be the Mount of Olives just there east of Jerusalem. And also in Zechariah, he tells us this in chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. It shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. In other words, on the day that Christ actually returns, it will be light in every part of the world. All right, right now, we, we, you know, we operate on the rotation of the earth, and so we have these 24-hour-day 24 day periods, and so it's morning, and then it's evening, and it's light, and it's dark. On the day that Christ returns, it's going to be a unique day unlike any other day. There will be no darkness anywhere in the earth, and everybody will see him. Now, listen, we're living in a day when, because of technology, it's possible to see all around the world at the same time. Uh, And so it's going to be a marvelous day when Christ returns. Notice these two verses. Um, I'm going to show you first Zechariah 12 and then Revelation 1. Zechariah 12, uh, verse 10. And then they will look on me, Jesus, whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Very similar to what we read in Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. Let me put up a quick contrast to the first and second coming of Jesus. His first coming, when he came to earth as a baby, grew up, died for our sins. His first coming, he was gentle riding on a donkey as he comes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday the week of his crucifixion. It tells us that his eyes were filled with tears in Luke 19. It says, as he drew near Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over the city because he said, if you had only known this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And then he Jesus prophesies about how the Romans will come and build an embankment against this city and they will destroy the temple. And it happened. But he comes with eyes in his tears. He also came wearing a crown of thorns when he was crucified. They fashioned a a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head. And when he died, Jesus' blood was uh, on his enemies. You know, they, they pierced him. They nailed him to a cross. And so his blood was on them as they crucified him. But very different from his second coming. His second coming, he will be making war riding on a white horse. This is what we already talked about. Very different from riding on a donkey. His eyes will be ablaze with fire. That's what we read in verse 12. He won't be wearing a crown of thorns. It tells us in verse 12 also he will be wearing many crowns. And Jesus' blood won't be on his enemies. His enemies' blood will be on Jesus as he tramples his enemies like grapes in the wine press. And he is coming again. And Paul writes to us in Philippians 2 verse 8. And he says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death of the cross. And therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the way I look at it, folks. You can either bend the knee to him now or bend it in that day. But every knee will bow at some point to Jesus, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It's much better to do it now than to do it then. Amen? He's coming again. It is the hope of the church. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more right here on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.